Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 This episode of the Fan Engagement Pod is a chat with two very important figures in the world of fan engagement, namely Cliff Stott, an expert in the behaviour of crowds from Keele University, and Owen West, retired Chief Superintendent with West Yorkshire Police and now Research Associate at Keele. Cliff and Owen are part of the Enable Project, which is seeking to change the way football crowds are policed. Anyone interested in the supporter liaison officer role should listen to this, as well as anyone with a general interest in the way the police have and haven't engaged with fans in match-going situations. We had so much to talk about, we split it into two parts. Part one, this part, looks at a lot of the history, touching on Cardiff City's successes with their supporter liaison officer in de-escalating violence. Part two focuses on some of what's happening on the ground today and the potential for the SLO role in English football. Okay, and just, yeah, I mean, look, so Cliff, thanks for joining us. Just tell us about the project. Tell us about what you're doing um, and what you're doing with Owen. Um, uh, well, trying to change things, I think, is is really the the key key way of understanding what what we're trying to achieve. I mean, I've been studying what we can call football related disorder, hooliganism, call it whatever you want, um, for for decades now, and right from early doors, began to recognise that. One of the main issues in, in, in why situations in football become violent is a lot to do with the way that they're policed. And started to see this in Italy in 1990 when I went to the World Cup, but increasingly began to recognise that if we were going to try to change what was happening around English football clubs and the English national side, traveling abroad and the problems of violence around those events we had to try and change the police it wasn't about banning fans it wasn't about saying oh you know that guy's a hooligan getting banned because it didn't make any difference it wasn't really what it was about it was about um the the conditions that met fans when they arrived and it was it was captured to be honest with you, it was captured to me really well in uh, where we went to France, was in Toulouse, I think it was, and I was interviewing a a Man City fan who defined himself as a hooligan. You know, he was a bit of a lad and all this kind of thing. And I was sitting down there talking to him, interviewing him about what had gone on in Marseille. And he made the point. He said, "Well, look, it doesn't matter whether we we're coming out here for trouble. The problem is, by the time we got here, it had already gone off." And I think that captured for me really neatly what the issue was. You know, whether so-called hooligans, people who see themselves as hooligans, were present or not, wasn't really the issue. What what was the issue was how fans from other clubs, other countries, when English fans arrived, were turning out to attack us. And in that context, it was often the case that the police either wouldn't do anything to prevent those attacks 
or when they happened, the police would join in with the with the fans as well. And and it was just like often it was really dangerous, really chaotic, and it was really problematic to see it in terms of the way that the media was painting this stuff. Um, and there was obviously no solution in that. So what we tried to do was to construct a solution around England games in particular. We met an opportunity to try to build a project of change with a quite progressive team of people who were in the Home Office at the time, because this is the time of the new Labour government, after the Tories, new Labour government. And what they were keen to do was to address the political embarrassment that was caused by the disorder problems at uh, the European Championships in 2000. And we leapfrogged off the back of that to drive forward a project of change feeding into the European Championships in Portugal in 2004 and brought about that change, really. And that really kind of validated the whole project and began to recognise, look, hang on a minute, if you get the policing right around England fans, then you'll create an environment where there isn't any disorder, that England fans can still express themselves and do what they want to do in terms of partying and drinking and all the kind of things you go to football tournaments for, but without any of the, the confrontation, the violence and so on. But what was then the project really was to say, well, what can we do in the UK to try and bring that kind of change? And really the work has been over the last 15, 20 years, trying to bring the same kinds of change into the UK but that's actually proven to be an even more difficult challenge of uh, bringing change to how football in the domestic leagues of England and Wales, and indeed to some extent in Scotland, how, how football fans are policed. And that, that's a really big issue from my point of view, because there's lots of people get criminalised in this context. There is still remaining an issue there around violence and disorder, but there is a hell of a long way that we can go to make policing more capable of de-escalation, um, more capable of avoiding confrontation than it currently is. Because we spend a hell of a lot of money policing football. There's a hell of a lot of people get involved in, in, in prosecutions, arrested, and this, that, and the other. And we can do a hell of a lot better, but the problem is we don't. And therein lies my work right now. Right. Now, I'm not going to... I, I want to try and avoid sort of... Um... Silly questions, <laughs> but you know, but I can sort of see the, the the point of what you're talking about abroad, and um, you know why the government would be interested in that because it becomes a reputational issue for the country. It did, you know, it clearly became a problem. Um, and you know, if you get the right kind of government, they want to deal with the issue. And and you were fortunate, I suppose, in that you had a a, a government that wanted to deal with it in the way that you talk about. But when it comes to domestic football, which is really sort of where I want to look at, <clears throat> why, why is it that, um, I mean, without the obvious falling back on, well, it was, it was the Football Offences Act and then the, the laws that were passed subsequent to that and just the general way that fans, um, and we've just been joined, joined by Owen um, West, um, former Chief Superintendent, is that right? That's right, yeah. I was just asking a question, really. So, why, you know, why is it? Is it just is it just that we 
there was a knee-jerk response in the 1980s and we institutionalised that, or was it? Is it deeper than that? Is is there? Is it? Is it? Well, is it deeper than that? You know, what 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 would you be your response to that? What's what's the cause, Cliff? The cause of what? Well, what's the cause of the type of policing that we've seen adopted? Was it? You know, and the type of attitude when it comes to the type of the way that people are policed, uh, uh, fans are policed. Is it purely that a government came in in the 1980s and said, we've had enough of this and that's it? Or is it more than that? Well, as, as we've been discussing, look, you know, a lot of this is to do with really poor policing on, on occasion. And, you know, I'm an academic, so I blame <laughs> Owen. <laughs> so uh, what do you reckon, Owen? What's, what's your take on this? Okay, so we're going to reverse roles now, and I'm going to talk a little bit, I think, about some of, some of the science, which is really dangerous when Cliff's on the call. Let me take it right back, Kevin. And, and for me, this is about the, the conditioning and programming that police officers get and uh, around crowds in general. Not about, I'm not talking about football at this particular moment. I'm talking about crowds in general. And the perceived wisdom over the years has been that, that crowds uh, are a threat to society, a threat to public order, and are there to be to controlled and be, con uh, and be managed. And there's a whole raft of historical sort of literature and science around uh, why policing and why states think about crowds in that way. What Cliff has been doing with colleagues for the last 30 years or so has been debunking that and introducing um, uh, the latest science around crowd psychology and crowd dynamics uh, and allowing the police and, uh, and everybody else to get a sense of what, actually, what is actually happening in the crowd and, and the dynamics that are at play with it. And so to answer your question, I think the police in some regards are still wedded to a really, really old fashioned view of crowds as a threat. And when you're looking at crowds through that lens, it's no wonder that you tend to see uh, over-policing, you tend to see things that aren't uh, proportionate, you tend to see things that are there about the police trying to control at all costs. And, you know, I know myself as a former police commander that there's a real issue around, you know, being perceived to have lost a crowd situation, to have lost crowd control. So... Cliff will be able to, to tell you about, you know, the, 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 the sort of uh, the chronology and the science of all of this. But I just think back to when I was uh, a young Bobby and, and, and going through uh, football crowds and everything else. It, it was always the language in relation to threat, control, arrest, disperse. It mm. was never, ever around engagement, facilitate, work, you know, uh, gain the respect of crowds, problem solved within crowd uh, policing. It was always sort of framed around the them and us. Uh, and a lot of that, I think, feeds into, uh, I think, where you were coming from when I joined you, which was about, I think you were talking about football children in the 80s and 90s. Hmm. So I think, you know, until fairly recent years, and, and it changed dramatically in protest, but in recent years, that's been a lot of it. It's been a lot of just a very prejudicial view if I can use a small p prejudicial view around what crowds are and you know what the public order response needs to be to them mm. yeah and I, I think just to sort of follow on to that there's a real danger in, in in this argument of people misattributing or misunderstanding what we're saying this isn't a question of blame you know we're not sitting here saying look 
the police are at fault. What we're, what we're doing is coming at it from an informed understanding of the dynamics through which this violence comes about. And what we understand about that is that it's about interaction. It doesn't matter what anybody going into that interaction actually intends, that the situation they create by that interaction has a dynamic of itself that produces violence. So the, 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 the mission of the police is try to prevent disorder, but the understandings that they take into that interaction actually lead them to behave in ways that create contexts within which disorder can actually be created. And that, that's, that's a massive issue. It's just like a kind of big mistake in a sense. And what we're trying to do is to improve people's understanding of the actual dynamics through which the violence comes about so they can be managed better and that we can actually create forms of interaction that don't actually cascade out into disorder. And I think it's fair to say that the vast bulk of the situations that we see where disorder actually happens, and we see a lot of it, is that because we go looking for trouble, um, <laughs> is that um, nobody intended it to happen. Mm. No, nobody went into that situation, intended violence to happen in that way at that time for that reason. They, it just kind of evolves through the event. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Everybody sort of think, oh, you, you know, it happened because that bloke came looking for trouble or, you know, that cop is just up for it. It's not like that. It's actually about how those things come together and it produces situations where where the disorder uh, happens and as owen's alluding to there in, in in terms of his reflection a lot of that is about how the police think about what the problem is in the first place it just struck me that it's not simply about a, a group of people who may or may not in whatever the condition is commit violence i remember um and i've been going to football for years i remember going to a game um, and I can't remember who we were playing. We, we, we were playing at Wimbledon. We were playing at Sellers Park at the time in the Premier League. And, um, and my dad, he's a, he's a nice bloke. He's been out of football for years. He's never caused, caused any trouble. He's, in a, he's, um, he's, he's, he's generally very, very supportive of the police and a you know, law-abiding citizen, what have you. Um, and I just remember, and it's stuck in my mind, it's one of those things that, that you just don't forget for whatever reason, it stayed there. And I remember walking down... White Horse Lane or wherever it was around the ground <clears throat> before the game. It was a big crowd, so it must have been someone like Man United or Liverpool. And uh, there was a copper there filming everyone. And he, I, I can't say he was, you know, he wasn't swearing his face off or anything because he was a lay preacher, so he was a bit more delicate with his language, let's say. But, um, but he was really angry about it. He was saying, why, why, are you fil why are they filming me? What have I done wrong that means they have to film me? This was about 1997, probably mid 90s, mid to late 90s. So actually, it's it strikes me that it, the ripples out are much. It's it affects everyone, doesn't it? I'd just let me pick up on that if I can, Kevin. Yeah, you've, you've, hit, you've hit upon a point which I, I know you know angers fans incredibly quickly, and that is the the, the filming of them by police evidence gathering teams. And um, you know, Cliff and I going around the country have seen this many many times where the there's been a wafer-thin rationale for why the police are actually filming people, and it becomes something that they just do, I think, without thinking. And certainly one of the things that, that I did when I was still in post was effectively 
uh, say that you know I wouldn't allow that to happen unless I, I'd given it my own personal authority to do so. Because you stick a camera in someone's face without good reason, you, you sort of set this this tone of threat and uh, uh, around a group of people for no reason, and then you know the police think, well, why did people react in a bad way to that? It's it's. <laughs> there's just no need for a lot of it and it should only ever be used sparingly it should only ever be used in the right circumstances where evidence is required and i think we see too much of it and yeah. certainly part of our work has been to point out to officers the unintended consequences of sticking a camera in, in people's faces or, or sort of videoing from a distance and, and it's one of the things that we see time and time again is it's a catalyst and let's be honest about it you know that catalyst is started by the police well the let, police let's, have um, decided to, to to film somebody let, let me come in here let's have a consideration about what what's that filming for why are they doing it and in part it's what's called evidence gathering so one of the rationales is that if there is an incident of disorder later on, the fact that they've managed to capture somebody on film, they might, you know, be unmasked at a point there that later on they mask up in the context of disorder and stuff. So they're gathering what, you know, evidence really. But they're also involved in surveillance. And that surveillance is set up around the entire intelligence framework for football policing. And to be frank, it's this surveillance and intelligence frameworks that drives the entire agenda around football. And that underneath it is now defined in terms of trying to categorize different types of football fan. And that categorization revolves around two categories. And I've just got it, I've launched it up here from the the police guidance for police in football of what they call risk and non-risk supporters. So the whole, whole agenda is that violence is caused by these people that the police define as risk fans, right? So what they're doing all the time is looking for these risk fans. We used to call, you know, you could call them hooligans, right? But risk fans, they're called risk fans now. Let me read you the definition of risk and non-risk supporters. So risk supporter, now let's, let's start uh, with non-risk, right? It's somebody who doesn't pose any risk of public disorder. A person, known or not, who can be regarded as posing no risk to the cause of or contribution to violence or disorder, whether planned or spontaneous, at or in connection with a football event. All oh, right. Okay. So you, this is somebody who under no circumstances would ever get involved in anything that could be considered violent confrontation under any circumstances, right? That's, that's a non-risk fan, right? A risk supporter then is a person known or not who can be regarded as posing a possible risk to public order or antisocial behavior whether planned or spontaneous, at or in connection with a football event. Well, forgive me, I've heard an intelligence officer themselves saying you could drive a bus through that. Can I just say I'm none the wiser? <laughs> I mean, and the point is, it's anybody. Exactly. Anybody can yeah. fit that categorization. Absolutely anybody. Right? Yeah. So the key point being is that in the end, if the police define you as a risk fan, they can. And, 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 and that can live with people for a long time. Once you get categorised as a risk fan, that label can live with you for decades. Tell me, what, 
one one I'm interested in is um, how is it that this has happened to football, and how is it that it hasn't happened to rugby to cricket? I mean, I I lose count of the times where, for example, I see particular people like Amanda Jacks, the case worker at the Football Supporters Association, who's an absolute she's you know absolutely brilliant with some of the stuff she does with how often she points out such and such a horse racing meeting that descends into violence where's the where's the law breaking into their that that environment and saying right we've got to start policing people far more strictly you can't drink in view of the right uh, of the uh, um uh, the track and etc 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 i mean it seems like a stupid question but why hasn't that happened because that's the crossover in people I'm going to make a reasonable assumption. There are crossovers in people between horse racing and football, for instance. Go to any ground on Grand National Day and everyone's looking out for the horse racing results. And I'm sure lots of people go to. So why, why is it football's been subjected to this? And why? And second, the second part, I suppose, for consideration is, is why has, and maybe they haven't, but why has football felt, why have football clubs and the governing bodies, why have they felt so powerless to do anything about it or to, to argue against it? Or, or haven't they bothered to? Are they, not, are they not? Is it something they don't bother arguing against? What? Oh, these are complicated questions, aren't they? Oh, they are, aren't they? Let's start with an easy answer. I mean, it's a philosophical question, really. No, not really an answer to the first part of that question. Why? I mean, one, one perspective on that, and I tend to be sympathetic to it, is class. Football's a working-class sport. And it, it has a historical origin in that area. And, and the public order issue, the public disorder issue, is, is fundamentally one that revolves around class and, and managing, managing the situation that class relationships throw up. And I, I think another thing is that Football and football culture has always been a political football, right? So I, I always take this, this view on in relationship to this question. It's a long-standing position of mine. As I say, there's no right or wrong or any accurate answer to this question at the end of the day. It's a point of view. But there isn't a government in this country that would ever be elected if it was seen to be not in control of public order. And where, through the 1970s, 1980s and so on, do we have these debates about the control of public order other than football? It's in the papers all the time. Why should a punch-up between a bunch of blokes at football be so significant? Like you say, if it was at Cheltenham Races, we'd ignore it. But when we do pay attention to it at Cheltenham Races, it's always made out to be the working class turning up at the gentlemen's sports. So I think, you know, the issue here is about how disorder in the context of football has become politicised. It's become politically significant. It's become something that governments need to be seen to be in control of. And that's really the agenda that drives the whole thing, that, that, that feeds into why disorder in football is so much more important than football you know, violence in the context of, of any other Friday night. You know, Friday night, how much violence do we see down at the city centre on a Friday and Saturday night? Much, much, much more than football. And yet we just ignore it. But when it happens in football, it really matters. And just let me come in on that if I can. I mean, the first thing I would say is I think it, for me, it's just, I agree with everything Cliff said. I think it's just really lazy journalism. You know, the copy has been written over decades. 
and it's just easier to you know look what we wrote two or three years ago and, and regurgitate something similar i wanted to pick up on what cliff said about um risk and that's a really important point that he made um i often sort of challenge officers and colleagues when they're talking about the risk of football matches think about the risk on a friday and saturday night in the night time this is obviously before lockdown Think about the risk on a Friday and Saturday night, the nighttime economy, the pub fights, the domestics, the fights outside, takeaways, the fights in taxi ranks. That's where threat, harm and risk is. That's where violence happens. Happens much, much more than it does at, at football matches. And yet the police are expected to police that Friday and Saturday night, nighttime economy with a fraction, a fraction of the officers that are mobilised to go to a football match. And, you know, I, I, I would hope that my colleagues in the Federation, you know, take a long look at this and just, you know, ask themselves, where is the, where is the greater risk to our, uh, <clears throat> to our members? Is it at a football match or is it on a Friday and Saturday night when there might be just a handful of officers available because of cuts and austerity and everything else? I would argue it's the Friday and Saturday night more than, more than it is the football on the Saturday. Okay, tell but tell me um, then. Um, so the Evolve project. Um, enable. Me, enable, 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 mate. Sorry, my bloody hell. <laughs> um, apologies. <laughs> um, so the Enable project. Tell me um, about Cardiff because that's. I, I remember being quite. Um, you know, I came along to a game up at West Brom. In fact, it was West Brom Cardiff um, uh, as part of the project a while back. Um, and I know Cardiff City and the role of the SLO has been something uh, that's been a big, yeah, you know, it's been a, it's something you talked about a lot. It's something. Yeah, yeah. we learned a lot massive, from, from work. Massive did impact, Cardiff. didn't it? Yeah, please, please tell us about that. Because I think it's like, what I want to try to get to, Kiff, sorry, was, was what the, the practical, the practical, I mean, I suppose for want of a better phrase, the practical benefits of adopting some of the things you're talking about and adopting this attitude, this, this approach you know how does it work out when you adopt it well look, look, there's all sorts of issues here to that you raise in, in, in that question is sometimes you know i mean you've used you've 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 labeled us a couple of times experts i, I don't like that term because we're not we're just people who have a position of influence in this situation and we just reflect sometimes what a lot of people already know and and what a lot of people are already doing and uh, and the thing about cardiff was that uh, it was a program of work that got initiated when we'd done the work in portugal and at that time there was a particularly progressive chief constable who was the national football lead a guy called david swift and he saw the sense in what we were talking and he saw what we achieved in in portugal and he bought into the project and he when we got back he, he um, asked me to come and present at the national football commanders conference for the and, and at that meeting there was um, a bunch of other progressive senior cops who bought into a couple of you know programs to say well what can we do about the domestic leagues in the same way that has been achieved on that project in portugal and during that program of work I came into contact with a guy called Gwyn Davies who at that time was um, chairman of an uh, organization in the Cardiff fan base called the Valley Rams and he'd heard me on the radio 
quite a few times and kept, everything I was saying kept making sense to him about what was happening to Cardiff fans because they were trying to manage the really high levels of violence and confrontation around Cardiff and they could see the same things going on with them that a lot of the time it was about hostile policing and and hostile fans attacking them and nobody really managing that dynamic then we we got together and we, we worked and we also worked with a club who were at a point at which they appointed a, another really progressive and insightful safety officer called um, Wayne Nash. And the whole kind of thing started to come together. And we were able to see that really where we could work with police forces, um, at this time there were some police forces that were particularly progressive. And I'm going to use the word ironic here. One of those was, was South Yorkshire. There's a guy called Martin Scoven. And, and I worked with them to try to change the way that they police Cardiff fans. And instead of trying to confront them with their riot approach, you know, riot cops, they work with communication, they work with this kind of principles of de-escalation, and they transformed it. And in that program of work, that's actually how I first came across the work of Owen, who at the time was a, a sergeant um, doing work around, I think it was Bradford, wasn't it, Owen? Yeah, Bradford City. I'll pick up the yeah. story. So why don't you yeah. talk, talk to him about the piece of work that you did with Dave Campbell? So, yeah, so just picking up from where Kevin said, that Cardiff had been to West Yorkshire a couple of times and it had always ended up in really serious disorder between the police and fans. Uh, and, you know, some really nasty scenes in terms of, you know, the police using dogs, to, to physically, you know, get dogs to push people onto coaches. That was Huddersfield, wasn't it? Yeah, to, to get them away. Cardiff. Really, really sort of, you know, um, ugly, horrible scenes. Uh, and Cardiff came to uh, Bradford City, which was, as Cliff says, that was, the, uh, that was one of the clubs I was responsible for at the time. And picking up on Cliff's work, knowing that they were coming, we decided to go and proactively, Dave Campbell and I, we went and engaged proactively with the Valley Rams. And we went out and we spoke to them and we said, look, why does it always come to the fact that at the end of the match, when we're, you know, you're getting on the cut, why the hell does it always kick off at that point? And for me, this was the moment that really opened my eyes. And it was about geography. And what the Rams were saying, were explaining to me is the, the huge geographic spread that is Wales. If you get people on the wrong coach, you force them onto any coach that's going to set off you are potentially dropping people off many, many, many miles away from where they live. And the whole tension and, com and confrontation was around fans not wanting to be putting on a, on a coach that they couldn't get off because there would be a police convoy and then forced in the middle of nowhere to try and get their way home. So in terms of, sort of de-escalating and, and, and trying to work out how to get round that, again, through dialogue and engagement with the Valley Rams, when they came to Bradford, we basically said at the end of the match, we will line all the coaches up. The, the coach that you came on will have a clearly identifiable number and we will take all the officers away. So you will sort yourselves out and you will get on the coaches that you need to get on and you won't see a bobby, you won't see police horses, you won't see dogs. We will just stand off and that is your sterile area for you to control. And when you're ready to go, you tell us and we'll sort the traffic management out. And that's exactly what we did. No confrontation at all, no use of dogs, no batons or anything else like that, or truncheons as they were then. And that was simply by understanding the, the obvious, once you do get your head around it, that why on earth would we want to force people on a coach 
and take them many, many miles away from where they live. Simple, isn't it? But unless you know some of these things, unless you know what's causing the root of the disorder, then it just perpetuates over time. So there was a, like, again, going back to, to the way that we look at these things, there was an interaction that went on. And the police at that time at Huddersfield didn't understand the culture of the Valley Rams and, and the Cardiff fans. And they just, you know, get on the bus and get out. And, and, and that created a sense of illegitimacy among the fans that created a context in which they started to engage in resistance and that, that gravitated up into violent confrontation and eventually, in that context, quite serious disorder. So the way to manage that is just understand where they're coming from, <laughs> facilitate the legitimate things that they want to do, and guess what? There won't be any, any violence. And in, in fact, there was this just lovely story that... Okay, I'm going I'm to sort of be a little bit um, open here, uh, Owen. Part of the issue here was that at that time, West Yorkshire Police, the operational support unit was led by a chief superintendent who basically was out of control, right? And his unit was the one responsible for trying to drive them onto the buses. So part of what Owen and Dave did was set up a pub outside of the jurisdiction so that they could keep the OSU away from the Cardiff fans. And in that sort of transaction, that social contract, these Cardiff fans went into a pub and they were drinking and doing all this and the other. And then they got back on the buses and the landlord comes running out. He says, oh, somebody's nicked my karaoke machine. This is fucking terrible. So like they, they, uh, the police are kind of have a word with, with the Valley Rams, you know, Gwyn and so on. And um, the Valley Rams leadership get on the buses. They find the said karaoke machine. They uh, reprimand the individual. And they also did a whip round and came up with 40 quid to give the landlord for his inconvenience. Right? <laughs> now, for me, that's just a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. If you get this right, you create a culture and an environment where fans look after the business themselves. And, and everybody gets through this without any need for heavy-handedness, any need for criminalization, any need for confrontation. And that, that, that was a real, real eye-opener in terms of showing that if you get it right, you can change the, the culture of, of the fan base. Now, look, let's look at where we are with Cardiff fans. Right, so back in the day when we were doing this, this was 2004, 2005, something like that, Owen? Yeah, and I then, think four, I think. Around that time, so between 2000 and 2004, there was really serious violence around Cardiff. They were the, one of the worst, if not the worst, fan group in the country. Now you look at them with this modus operandi plugged in around that fan group for, for a long period of time. You're lucky if you see in excess of 26, 27 arrests a year with that group. Wow. Right? Now, and that's on an ongoing basis. Hmm. So there's been a real capacity to bring solid cultural change into that group of fans. Now, that's not to say they don't still pose a risk, because if you get it wrong around that lot, you're going to know it. So the issue here is about getting it right around the fan groups. So when we think about the big fan groups that consistently present problems, what are we talking about? We're talking about Leeds. We're talking about Millwall. We're talking about other fan groups who've got this like notorious reputation but they they've also got policing around them that is policing on the basis of reputation 
Mm. And, that, and that creates a context around that fan group that perpetuates the problem and doesn't build the culture of self-regulation and de-escalation that's been managed around Cardiff fans. And for us, that's part of the issue. If you could get it right around all of those fan groups, football wouldn't have a problem. Mm. 